0: This is take about 27, here we go. I got this, Pink has a song. If you know me at all, you know I love Pink. Her song is called Try, and in that song, one of the lines is, why do we fall in love so easy even when it's not right? You can relate, right? Because we've all done that. (laughs) Well, a lot of times it's not right, that's true. Sometimes though, we just don't know how to communicate. You're listening to The Boundless Heart, the podcast empowering women into shameless self-respect, independence, and equal partnership. This week we are diving into relationships because let's face it, no matter what kind of relationship you're in or are not in, want to be in, or don't want to be in, they can be confusing for so many of us. So when I heard Coach Dylan James Levitt on another podcast, I asked that host if she could hook us up. Not hook us up, but connect us so that he could be on this podcast to talk about this with us. I'm so happy he said yes because we had a great time and he shares about how to talk to your partner, especially as a woman, to a man about your sexual desires, things that people are just not comfortable with, opening up to what are my needs and can I express them with this person. And you'll also hear how to approach a situation where you're doing a lot of inner work and your partner is either in denial or he's just not doing it at all. Great perspectives from Dylan. I cannot wait to dive in. Dylan, you're a man and you're immense coach. My podcast is mainly for women. Why am I having you here? What are you telling the men about us?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a hilarious first question when you sent me this question. I laughed because there's so many ways that I could address it. So I don't talk about men are this way and women are this way because there's so much diversity. My background is psychology, and I took a class called the Psychology of Sex Differences. And he specifically looked at neurologically what are the sex differences on average between female brains and male brains. And what they find is that all of the differences fall into 2% of the whole equation. So that means our brains are 98% the same. And all of the differences between men and women fall into the 2% piece of that pie. And so I was like, oh, wow, okay, that puts things in perspective. So we're mostly the same neurologically. And there are some differences. Within those differences, there's still variations. It's a bell curve. So to talk about men are this way and women are this way, it doesn't do it justice because there's obviously exceptions to all of those rules. So I talk about the masculine and the feminine. Energetically, we all have a masculine energy and a feminine energy. Some women are more masculine by nature, by default. Some men are more feminine by nature and by default. So when I talk about women, I do obviously say like women want this or women say this, but I go through the feminine energy and the core components of the feminine energy are free flowing. And when I talk about free flowing, I think of dancing. Think about the woman's role in a dance routine where the man is leading, the woman is kind of flowing along with his moves. And that is when a woman is in her feminine, she's able to flow through the moment, through her emotions, and it's fluid. So that's one component. Another one is nurturing. Women who are more feminine in nature have this nurturing quality where they get value or get some sense of joy from being nurturing towards their man. And a lot of women want to be that way and and are that way, but don't feel safe to. And then the other primary component of the feminine that I talk about is women tend to be much more spontaneous. Like when a woman is in her feminine, she likes to be led and just go along for the ride and like, oh, hey, let's go this, let's go do this. Or she sees something and like it emotionally hits her in a certain way. And so that's something that men aren't always that way because the masculine tends to be more goal-driven, logical, planned rather than spontaneous. And so these are all qualities that we have within us. And I think it's important that we recognize we can all be masculine and feminine at times. So that's the first thing that I like to distinguish.
0: I also think it's not wrong either way. Nobody's wrong for having whatever qualities they have.
1: For sure. You know, I've met And got along with women who are more masculine and more feminine and both can be attractive. It's like a magnet, essentially, like you can attract someone no matter where you fall on that spectrum.
0: You talk about helping men attract high quality women. (laughs) And as you probably are aware, women are, we're trained to compare each other. So I see high quality and I'm like, (gasps) am I doing it right? Right not necessarily but this is an example it's like what is a high quality woman
1: yeah that's a great question it's interesting because I talk to a lot of men and I have consultation calls with a lot of guys and I always ask them what are the physical characteristics that you look for and what are the non-physical characteristics that you look for and most of the men want to skip surprisingly to me, they'll talk about the physical, but they'll always mention how the non-physical is what's most important. When I talk about high quality women, like obviously we all want to be with someone that we find physically attractive, but high quality means someone that has non-physical traits that you're compatible with. The most common ones that I hear are loyalty. So many men talk about loyalty and trustworthiness and That's basically not doing things behind a guy's back and being dependable and open with your communication. So many guys talk about fun and adventurous and open to new experiences. I hear that almost every single call. There's something in that category that men are looking for and someone that can Netflix and chill but doesn't want to do that all the time and wants to experience the world. A lot of the times here, kind, caring, warm, affectionate, that whole camp of things. I would say those are the three things that when I ask men about what they're looking for in their ideal partner, dream woman, they speak into those qualities.
0: You talk to a lot of men, you ask what kind of physical appearance they like. Do you find any patterns or is it all across the board
1: so it's all across the board. It's different every call. I never know what I'm going to get. A lot of guys, honestly, they'll say like, ah, I'd prefer this, but I'm not so picky. Like, it surprises me. More than half of the people say like, this is what I prefer, but I'm not super picky. When it comes to the looks, it mostly matters like who she is as a person. And that is uh, encouraging to me.
0: <laughs> I really wanted to ask that because I thought that might be your response but I wanted to know if it wasn't because my listeners mainly are women we're trained to compare we have to look like this because the media says this and just to hear that most men really don't care obviously they want someone they find attractive but that doesn't mean you have to have a certain bra size it doesn't mean you have to have a certain waist things like that
1: it really comes down to your ways of being as a person, you're able to be warm and affectionate and loyal and adventurous and be able to be kind and caring. Those are the things that I hear all day long that men are looking for. So I'll say another thing about the differences between men and women, specifically when it comes to dating and mating. There's a fundamental divide between men and women And my goal as a relationship coach is to bridge the gap between the sexes, to bridge that divide. And the divide happens at the moment of orgasm or ejaculation at that point. So for a man, this goes back to evolution. I always like to take an evolutionary perspective on things because it takes the current times out of things and just talks about the science behind how we're wired. Evolutionarily, Success for a man is passing along his genes to the next generation. Essentially, as soon as that moment of orgasm happens, that is for a man evolutionarily, his goal is complete. And so that moment for a man like they're wired to want sex and to be geared towards wanting sex. And so men will do so (laughs) men will do almost anything to get a woman into bed. Not all men, but a lot of them like that's what their whole paradigm is surrounding. Like men love women and we want women, but sex for us is like the moment of success. And for women, that's when it all begins. Because the sexes have different investment in the offspring. So if back before birth control and all that, when men and women had sex, if the woman got pregnant, the man doesn't have have to invest resources in the offspring, but the woman is much higher risk for her. And even in modern day with abortions, you know, like so many women get screwed over by guys who are irresponsible and who don't treat them properly and they have to deal with an abortion and are left in such an emotionally damaged place because of it. And I've met plenty of women who are there. And so a woman's investment in the offspring, her risk when it comes to sex is much higher. And as soon as that happens, a level of attachment gets created that some women you know, have learned to deal with. But for a lot of women, that's when things really begin in terms of her starting to develop feelings. And for a man, in the primate times, After they had sex for the first time, that's like the moment of success. And then some men will want to continue to develop a relationship and be a long-term committed partner, but it's not mandatory. And so that's where the divide really starts. And I think it's so important for women to understand that most men nowadays, almost every man that I talk to, they want a long-term committed partner. Some men want to play the field and have some fun and sow their wild oats first and then find their long-term committed partner in that process. But like 98% of the guys that I talk to are looking for a life partner. They don't want to be attracted to other women. They don't want to want to have sex with other women. But they do. It's part of how we're wired. Those feelings are going to come up. And the man doesn't want that to happen necessarily. But that's our drive is literally to have as many offspring in the next generation with our genes as possible. Evolutionarily, that's what a man's purpose is in life. So even though we're much more refined and moralized in our modern day, the biological drives underneath are still there. So for a woman, I think it's important to have compassion for men if they do have fleeting desires for other women. It doesn't mean that he doesn't like you, he's not attracted to you, he likes the other woman better. It means that he's a man. And oftentimes women take it as a threat when a man feels an attraction towards another woman. And for a man, what that feels like is something I can't control is being perceived as a threat by you. So how am I supposed (laughs) to navigate that?
0: I'm laughing because I'm a woman. Something that we can't control is seen as a threat to the rest of the world. I'm sorry, I had to. But it's like, oh, now the tables have turned. Right.
1: We're all dealing with similar types of (laughs) conversations. They just are happening on different ends of the spectrum. I think that's an important one.
0: Yeah. I did not mean to cut you off with laughter there. It it came out. It was something else. I channeled something. I wanted to go back now because that was very interesting as far as the way we're wired. And we can make some arguments maybe that in modern times we know more about the brain and we are conditioned in certain ways. Women are conditioned to be nice, to be polite, to not speak up, to not interrupt, And I wanted to go back then because men are looking for a kind, what did you say, kind, affectionate, caring woman. I know for myself, that's the kind of person I am. I want to be that Mm. without being a doormat and without being a people pleaser, which I have fallen into for too long.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: What would you say about that? Is there a line? Are your men looking for a woman who is a people pleaser because it's easy to be with that person? They're going to do everything for you. You're not going to have to take responsibility for yourself.
1: Definitely not. Yeah. I don't ever hear men say they want a people pleaser. Never once have I heard that. Some men want a woman who's more compliant. However, those men don't actually know what they want because there's a dark side to that too, where they feel like they're always having to make all the decisions and she has no mind of her own. Conscious men who are working on themselves and looking for a conscious life partner that they want to grow together. Those men don't want a people pleaser. So nurturing doesn't look like just telling him what he wants to hear or agreeing with him or going along when you don't agree. What nurturing sounds like is, I'm here for you. I care about you. Like if they come home, like, what happened? Tell me about your day. And then building him up in a caring way. That sounds so rough. I'm so sorry you had to go through that. You don't deserve that. And I know you'll get through this. You're strong. You're building him up just like you would a friend or a family member.
0: And another distinction would be that you're not doing his emotional work for him. You mentioned before the men who want to grow together. Obviously, if you're growing together, you're growing on your own as well. Exactly. I know a lot of women have fallen into that over-functioning, I'm going to do all of the physical housework and then also all the emotional work and then we're just drained and we can't deal with life
1: you have to wear all the hats and we don't have to wear all the hats we get to ask for what we need from our partners
0: yeah and that's something that i think most people can they may not be comfortable at this point but the more we can just go in and say okay this is what i want But when you speak what you want, then you can decide together. Is this a match? Is this going to work? Are we compatible? Like you want this? I want this completely other different thing.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of times both men and women are scared to have the conversations that really matter to them. And I see so many times where two people will meet. Things will be going well. They'll go on three, four, five dates. They'll be talking for a month or two. And both people are unsure what the other person really wants, how much they really like that person, whether or not they are really like them more than a fling and want something. And both people are scared to bring up that conversation. And it makes sense because nobody wants to get rejected. And nobody wants to feel like they want the other person more than that person wants them. And when we don't have those conversations, what ends up happening is we get left in limbo and we feel like the other person is mistreating us or not taking it seriously when we haven't communicated our needs or how we see things progressing.
0: That's so true, all the way through a relationship. <laughs> because when you get into one where you haven't really expressed your needs, you're still in one, you're not really expressing your needs. Right. And then finally, <laughs> the resentment builds too high and Somebody's got a blow.
1: Yeah, and timing and pacing are important. Yeah. But I always coach people on address the things that are coming up. Like I'm single right now, and just had a situation yesterday where I went on a date with this girl, and we're both kind of like traveling and doing our own things. And I was like, I'll let you know when I'm back from Denver because I just got back from Denver, amazing city, and we kind of casually hinted at, hang out when I get back from Denver. And I talked to her the other day and she was like, oh, I actually decided to go up to LA. Like, I don't think I'm going to be back in San Diego till August. Let's hang out then. And for me, it's like, I don't want to stay in this. Maybe we'll see each other. Maybe we won't Phase. And so I just sent her an honest text of, of saying like, I totally get that you're in LA. What's important to me is that I felt a connection. Here's the things that I liked about you. I got the sense you felt a connection too. Quality time's important to me. And I want to make sure, like, that we're both committed to seeing how this evolves if you actually liked me. Essentially, I didn't say it just like that, but that was...
0: <laughs>
1: I was like, let's find out sooner rather than later.
0: Exactly. It's so much better to find out now than it is to find out five years down the road after you've had a kid. And <laughs> It's just... Yeah. Okay. I have an amazing community and some of them asked some questions and this is why I've been so excited. They're so good. One of my inner circle members asked, her name is Misty. She's just this wonderful woman. What is the most common thing you see in men? And I just have a feeling this is, do you see something that's just common? Yes,
1: many things. The most common thing that I see in men is feeling like showing their emotions makes them weak. Scared to be vulnerable, scared to open up. Not because they don't trust you, not because they don't want to, literally because they don't know how. And they've been.
0: Because they're not taught.
1: We're not taught. How. I mean, most women aren't taught either. However, women tend to have a better natural capacity to process their emotions. There's not as much shame around it. For men, shame exactly. is the biggest thing that I see shame around sexuality. And not just sexuality, but showing their emotions in general. And it's really difficult for guys. It really is. When you ask a guy, like, how do you feel about that? Or do you have anything else to say? A lot of women find themselves in positions where they feel like the guy isn't sharing. And so they'll say things (laughs) to try to get him to share. And for men, they can't, most men, not all men, some men, great at sharing emotions, actually. But I would say 75% of men, they can't immediately access the feeling. They can immediately access what they might think about something. And then thinking about something helps them uncover how they actually feel about it. So what do you think about that? Rather than how do you feel about that? Or how does that make you feel tends to be a more easier question for men to answer. I mean, most men, how do you feel about that? It's pretty good, okay, great, like, fine, great. They don't actually use emotion words because yeah. they've been shut down. And as a woman holding space for him, for him to talk about what he thinks about that and help him try to get to his feelings, that's something that you, that you can do, but you don't need to do it. Meaning the more you probe, the more defensive it will make him.
0: I think there's a couple of questions actually around this very thing. One of them, Libby, asks about how do we... She said, should women talk to men about our sexual needs? Because it is, like you said, there's shame around sex for a lot of people. And I'm wondering how. What is a safe (laughs) or a non-intimidating way to talk about these things?
1: I think a safe and non-intimidating way is to start off with a compliment because most men have shame around their sexuality and almost all men want to hear that you enjoy going to bed with them, having sex with them, or at least some part of it. (laughs) Even if it's not the best, find something that you do enjoy and lead with that because then it lowers a guard rather than going into the conversation like, Let's talk about how we can improve our sex life. Like that could work, but it could easily make a guy start to feel like you're not satisfied or he's not satisfying you. And then his shame comes up. And usually that is very uncomfortable. Every man has a different reaction to their own shame. Some men get defensive. Some men get quiet. Some men get sad and feeling like they're disappointing you. So then it's just, it's hard to have that conversation because his guard is up. So I would say if you want to talk about sex and what your needs are and what you would love to do in the bedroom with him, start out with a compliment.
0: And not in the bedroom. <laughs> not like when you're getting ready. Not
1: to- before. <laughs> certainly, I mean, like if it's the first time you're having sex, like certainly I wouldn't recommend stopping the process to say, hey, this is this is what I like. If anything in the middle of it, you can kind of like whisper in his ear, like, do this to me. But usually I recommend having that conversation around how to satisfy each other's needs after the first time that you've had sex. Depends how comfortable you are sexually. If you've had a lot of partners and you're comfortable just bringing it up and talking about it straight away, some men are going to be okay with that. Some men won't. It just depends how comfortable they are with their own sexuality. A lot of men don't feel like they're as good in bed as they want to be. Let's put it that way. So usually I find that having that conversation beforehand can be challenging for a lot of guys. And then after the compliment, I would start out by asking him, hey, is there anything sexually that you haven't done that you'd like to do? Curiosity is the first thing. Like, ask him first what he wants or what he likes. Like, where do you like to be kissed? That's a great question. Where's your favorite part of your body to be kissed? And then you can be like, well, if you want to know the secrets to my pleasure, I'll share a couple with you. And then you can playfully be like, I really like it when a guy does this. Guys pay attention to that shit. (laughs) If it's done. I
0: imagine they do.
1: If it's done in that kind of open, playful way,
0: guys will listen. Yeah. A couple things about doing this inner work, regulating the nervous system, Mm. maybe. Katie is asking if your male partner feels like or maybe thinks he's, quote unquote, doing the work, but you don't think so. So this is, this is a really interesting, I, I know, I'm so glad you're laughing now too, because it's like, this is, I get it. So common. So I'm so glad to bring it up. Like women can talk about this stuff all we want, but let's get the male perspective, right? I'm super stoked. So here's her, really the issue that she's curious about. Male partner feels or thinks that he's doing the work. You don't see that, but you also don't want to tell him how to live or what to think about his life. We understand we can't control somebody. So at a certain level, we're like, well, we don't want to just tell them how to live. We just want them to live like we live in. So it's easier for us to accept
1: it. So what's the question?
0: The question is, what do you do? What do you do in that situation? How do you... Her, I believe, was like, how do you deal with this notion that your partner's not doing the work, but he says there, thinks he is, and you're not happy?
1: Yeah. So... What do you do? You do the opposite of what you usually do.
0: Could it be that simple? It
1: could be that (laughs) simple. Because how do you speak for yourself? What would you usually do in that situation?
0: I know what I would do. I was divorced earlier this year, which everyone knows. I would say, and we did do this actually, I think you would really like this. There's a episode on YouTube of Eckhart Tolle. He's talking to Russell Brand. I know you like Russell Brand. Let's watch it.
1: <laughs> I love that episode. I know exactly which one you're talking about.
0: So did my ex. However, I wanted it to like totally change his whole consciousness. He'll stop being so negative and understand that like now is the present and you can do anything and and come more into an abundance mindset. All things are possible. The curiosity Eh. And it didn't. Maybe a little bit. And then check out this podcast. I would push things toward him. Do this. Listen to this. Always with the agenda. I knew I had the agenda. Yeah. Of hoping he would get it. That's what I would do. That's what I did. Yeah. And then eventually I actually spoke my truth. And then that's what really changed things.
1: Yeah. So what would be the opposite of trying to push things on him?
0: Ask questions. Of him and what the heck questions am I gonna ask? That's where I'm stuck. What do I ask?
1: Do you wish you were less negative sometimes? Like do you,
0: That's a good question. And that
1: that wouldn't be probably the lead question, but what you're talking about his negativity. Or do you wish you were more present sometimes could be a different way of asking that same question. Essentially, how do you wanna improve? What do you think would support you in doing that? Is there anything that I could do to support you in that? And even if he says no. Just you asking will make him appreciate you. So oftentimes it's turning a criticism into either a compliment or a request. If it's not a compliment, a request, that's a big shift. And to put it bluntly, if you don't think a man is doing the work that you want him to do, what that means is you can't accept him for who he is in this moment, who he is as of now in the current state of your relationship at least at that moment, you're unwilling to accept that. And part of that is an expectation. And part of that is wanting someone to change so that you can feel okay within yourself, which creates controlling behaviors. So usually, if you don't think he's doing the work, you have an expectation around him that he doesn't have for himself. And so your work is to let go of the expectations.
0: Yes. Let go of the expectations and be very honest with yourself.
1: Yeah. Be honest with yourself if you can actually accept him for who he is. And if not, that's okay. Certain things we are unwilling to tolerate.
0: And that is so true. Another thing I talk about is how women are basically trained to be codependent. We need a man because we're judged by whether or not we have one, who that man is, that doesn't mean, though, that we have no responsibility and personal responsibility in standing up for ourselves, speaking what is true for us. But again, when we're trying to change someone so we can feel better in the moment, that's not healthy. Yeah. <laughs> I've realized this since my this past relationship. I've made a lot of realizations.
1: What have you realized?
0: Well, that one, I actually didn't realize I was... Being a people pleaser, which is a really interesting way of just saying um, a liar. <laughs> I wasn't being honest with myself. I didn't know how to be honest with myself. I
1: resonate with that.
0: I didn't know how to make decisions. Yeah, because I'm always calculating how other people are going to respond to what I'm doing. Right, so I better make sure I do the things that won't make waves. That's really exhausting. And it brings you out of yourself. You're in your head. You're out there. You're always looking at everyone else. And then blame can come in. Well, it's their fault. Well, no, it's not. (laughs) But if we do something that we think will keep the waters calm and they're not calm, then we feel like it's our fault. (laughs) It's It's a whole thing. And
1: ultimately, you feel lonely or empty because you're not actually getting your needs met.
0: Exactly. And then resentful because of the same. That
1: they're not meeting your needs. It's a trap is what that is. That's an egoic trap. Here's what the ego is about. you familiar with Eckhart Tolle. He wrote a whole book about it, plenty of theories about it. In my coaching, I like to boil things down, make them real simple and practical. Ultimately, things that people can take into their life. The ego has three main purposes, three main functions. To be right, to stay safe, and to look good. Another way of saying being right is being in control. When we're trying to control something or be right about something, that's an egoic drive. When we're trying to avoid pain or discomfort or suffering, or even a lot of it now is like you just don't want to have an uncomfortable conversation. You're avoiding conflict. Any avoidance of anything that could be painful or uncomfortable that's an egoic drive avoiding pain or staying safe is another way of saying that staying safe and lastly looking good that's about our image and that's a lot of what you were talking about is making sure i'm coming off in the way that i don't uh, that i want to come off to people and i'm projecting the perfect image of what he wants in a woman
0: and what the world wants
1: and what the world wants in a woman and all of that, anytime we're thinking from that space or feeling or acting in that way, that's a signpost for us. It's like a little warning flag, like the orange flag at the beach. And they're like, be careful out there in the waters. Anytime you're in that those spaces that I mentioned, that's like an orange flag. Like, be careful here because your ego isn't necessarily bad. Sometimes... The warnings are valid. So it's important that we understand and recognize that as well. Often, however, the things that we're avoiding are things that are perceived pain. They're fears that aren't actually as bad in reality as we think they are in our head. The ways that we're trying to look good are not even necessarily what that other person expects. We might think like, oh, this is how I'm supposed to be, but we don't always know if that's actually what they want. I mean, I spent so long in my life trying to project this image of what I thought of the ultimate man was, and I was actually off (laughs) for a while there. I was significantly off base on what women actually crave in a man. A big part of that is vulnerability, and I was not. And it was, I I mean, I, I was being an authentic, number one, but also I was... I was not being vulnerable with women. Like I couldn't show my emotions. I was scared of my emotions, let alone show them to somebody else. That was a huge piece that was missing. And I thought women just wanted like a man who was like the bad boy, but could also be the nice guy when he needed to be. And yeah, I just tried to be way too charming and like seductive. And it was like too smooth. It was like, all right, there's something off here. A lot of times, we get to check ourselves and recognize when we're coming from our ego and shift and ask ourselves, what do I really want in my heart?
0: Or if you read any of Mama Gina's work, what do I really want in my pussy? <laughs> Which you could I take... don't
1: read her work, but maybe I should. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you could take a couple of ways. <laughs> and I don't mean from the external, but what is my inner compass telling me right now? Is this flag orange? Warning. Look at what you're doing. Or is this a red flag? Warning. You know what's right right now. And you know that if you take that step, you're going to pay. <laughs> and man, how many times do we just charge for those red flags? Like, I got it, though. I'm, I'm going to do it, though, anyways. It's okay.
1: <laughs> it's hilarious. I've fallen into that trap many times myself. And uh, we do, because we think it's going to be different this time. <laughs> And we often know, like we, most people know, like what's really holding them back or they know when they're about to do something that's going to blow back in their face. Yeah. But it's funny.
0: Thank you so much, Dylan. I've loved having you on and I can't wait to share this.
1: It's been so much fun. I'm really glad we did this. And uh, I'm always up for round two if the reception is good.
0: As I mentioned, that was only the first half of our conversation. But after our whole conversation, I kept recording and I'd like to share it with you to give you a little bit of behind the scenes of the Boundless Heart podcast. Awesome. Yay. I keep recording, but I just want to say I know you have to go. Thank you so much. I'm sorry I laughed in the middle there. <laughs> I'm still thinking Don't about be that. Sorry. I it's love such that. a woman thing laughing. to do. It. I'm like, <laughs> but I. T- I'm like, I... It was great. It's because I feel it so intensely. I know, I knew exactly what you were saying. Because we... (laughs) I took it as a
1: compliment. I took it as a compliment. It's like when a comedian says something that you just can't, you have a visceral (laughs) reaction to, like in comedy, like we can't control the laughter response. That tells me that it's landing when I get that kind of response. It's like, (laughs) ah, I struck a chord there. I like that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I had no words. There was nothing I could do. But yeah. So thank you. This was fun. You're welcome. If you want more of that, and if you want bonuses, and if you want a sisterhood where you can come to practice all the things that we're learning on the podcast to really dive into ourselves do some of that self-discovery and make sure that we are standing up for ourselves and that we are asking the question, does this work for me? Not how can I make this work? Because we're not actually obligated to make everything work for us. (laughs) The inner circle is where you come together in sisterhood to explore and expand and flourish. Boundlessheartpod.com slash inner circle. Cannot wait to see you there. Next week, I will do my absolute best to get the second half of this conversation out to you. However, I am going to be honest with you. I am staycationing on my island, Oahu, at the Disney Resort with my family this week. And if I can't get the second half of this episode out, I will drop something of value. I will pull something that came up in the inner circle to share with all of you. So be ready for either one of those things next week. Until next time. Respect yourself shamelessly. Open up about something that scares you just a little bit.